this Sunday, anointing service. I love all our Sundays, but this is kind of a highlight, a really special one. And if you're visiting, uh, if you don't want us to pray for you, you're not obligated. We want you to feel comfortable and at ease in God's house. Our theme for the year is we want to step into things in 2024. And our key verse is Joshua 1 and verse 3. And in a few weeks' time, we're going to be starting a series out of the book of Joshua and looking at some of these principles of stepping in to inherit God's promises, which is really the story of the book of Joshua. But the key verse for us is Joshua 1 verse 3, where God promises, I will give you every place where you set your foot, where you step in. He says, I'll give it to you as I have promised. And so there's a whole lot of things we want to step into. We want to step into new opportunities, take new steps of faith, step into God's presence, step into boldness perhaps. There's a whole number of things that we want us to stir ourselves in our faith to step into. But this morning is our anointing service. And I want to state this emphatically that if you have said yes to Jesus, he's your Lord and Saviour, you already have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. And the Bible says you have an anointing from the Holy One, from Jesus. You have an anointing. It's already there. But what this is about is saying, Holy Spirit, I am taking a step of faith as I come out, get prayed for, get anointed. We're just going to dab you with oil. We're not going to pour anything over your head. I do want to do that one day. But it's just to say, God, I'm hungry for the Holy Spirit. I'm, this is a moment of surrender, submission, and invitation. Holy Spirit, I want you to be a part of it. I'm stepping into a fresh anointing is the theme. So the theme, the message title for this is Victory to His Anointed. And it's from Psalm 20. And I want to read the first seven verses. There's only nine, but I thought I wouldn't read too much. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's a wonderful psalm. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. And the word distress there can also be translated the day of trouble. When you are facing a day of trouble, a season of trouble, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. I'll explain Zion in a moment, briefly. May he give you, sorry, may he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. And then verse six and seven, there's a shift because we've gone from may the Lord do this. It's a request, it's a petition. And then the psalmist, David says, now this I know. I've gone from may, I'm now stepping into now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary 
and with the victorious power of his right hand. Just very briefly in the Old Testament, the right hand of God refers to the working of the Holy Spirit. It's the right hand. It's the Holy Spirit sent to do things. And that's how the Holy Spirit is referenced sometimes in the Old Testament. I'd encourage you to read Psalm 20 today and maybe through this week and reflect on this and really get this in your spirit, but also read Psalm 21, the next Psalm. They're both fairly short, but they're actually twin Psalms. Psalm 20 is the prayer for victory in the day of trouble, in the day, in the time of distress. And Psalm 21 is God has answered and now there's the celebration. And so it's worth reading them together in that way. But let's talk about the day of trouble for a moment. Psalm 20 is this prayer offered, as it were, in the calm before the storm. It was usually prayed when Israel was about to go into battle. The troops were prepared. They were ready to step into the battle thing. And they would go to the temple to offer this prayer of God, would you give us success against our enemies? We're facing trouble. It's kind of the quiet before the storm, just before everything gets unleashed. And I know today there's some people here that are in the day of trouble. There's some you kind of go, I can see it coming. And others, you are blissfully happy. But you have faced the day of trouble, the moment of distress. And and without being negative, we all face those moments of trouble and distress and seasons of enormous challenge where there's something to do with something physical in our bodies, something in our relationships, something that we're just struggling within ourselves, the workplace, whatever it may be. And so this is a great psalm to pray and reflect on and rest in. The day of trouble has come. And in the psalm, it talks about that the pagans trust in chariots and horses. In other words, they trust in what they can assemble, what they can do to make a victory. And the contrast is, yes, we prepare. It talks about plans and preparations, but we actually trust in the Lord. We do what we can, but we trust in the Lord. In the calm before the storm, as I said, the king, the commanders of the army, the people go to the temple and present themselves to the Lord and pray this incredible prayer. The day of trouble comes to all of us. And here's the thing. The day of trouble will either drive us towards God or if you don't make the right choices, it actually drives you away from God. You go, why didn't, when, why is this happening? Where's God? All of those questions. And they're all questions that people in the Bible ask in the day of trouble. But then they make choices mostly to step towards God, not away from God. And I would urge you, if you're facing a day of trouble, don't let your emotions make decisions for you. Let faith make a decision for you. Let biblical promises make a decision for you. Take a step towards God not away from God. You notice the psalmist doesn't say, why are the enemies coming in? He says, they hear, we're going to seek the face of God. We're going to seek some answers from God. We're going to look for his strength, for his blessing. Psalm 40 
6 and verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And I want you to notice that. He's not only our refuge, he's our strength, but he's an ever-present help. No matter what's going on in your life, in your circumstance, God promises to be with you, to never leave you, to never forsake you, to never abandon you. He is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Again, without dropping into too much detail, you'll notice that there are four anchor things about where this help comes from. First of all, it's the Lord. And if you read in, in your Bible or even an online version, you'll probably find that the word Lord there is capitalized. And what that means, it's referring to the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And so it's the covenant God who's saying, I'm coming to help you. I'm coming to deliver you. I'm coming to fulfill my promises in your life. I'm the God of covenant. And even if you're not faithful to the covenant, he remains faithful. And the Bible teaches that over and over again. So it's the covenant God that comes to you and says, because you've said yes to Jesus, because you've surrendered your life to him, we're in a covenant relationship. It's a blood covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus. All the work of it is accomplished on the cross and in the power of his resurrection. And he said, I'm committed to you. I'm the covenant God. He also refers or he's referred to as the God of Jacob. And I love that. Jacob was not a perfect person in any way, shape or form. In fact, his name means deceiver, supplanter. He manipulated his way through life until he eventually had an extraordinary encounter and was transformed and God renamed him as Israel, a prince with God. But throughout the scripture, there are references to the God of Jacob. And you know what I love about that? Is this is the God who loves imperfect people who helps broken people, who's committed to us. He understands our humanity, our struggle, our at times disobedience, and then we seek for forgiveness and restoration. He's not a God who only deals with perfect people. If that was so, none of us would have any hope. He's the God of Jacob, the God of imperfect and broken people, people who have a heart for him but who struggle, who get things wrong, hopefully get some things right. But he's the God of the broken, the imperfect, and he loves us. And help comes from the sanctuary, it says. It comes from, it's referred to twice, the sanctuary. And it's talking about the presence of God. This is the Old Testament where you had to go into the sanctuary, the inner part of the temple to encounter the manifest presence of God. But now, because of Jesus, God's presence is in us and upon us and and he promises to never leave us or forsake us. And so there's help when we come into the presence of God. And that's one of the great things of just regularly being in God's presence intentionally. You never leave it, even if you don't sense it, he's still there. He doesn't leave you. But I'm talking about a sensing and intentionally seeking God and his presence. And then he says it's out of Zion. And there's a whole thing we could do there, but Zion refers to the place where God is enthroned. Has other significance, but that's the primary thing. And I love that. These promises come from a God 
who sits calmly on the throne. He's not surprised by anything that goes on in your life. He's not dismayed. It's not that he doesn't feel your pain and all the rest of it. I don't mean that he's indifferent, but he has a solution. He has an answer. He has a way forward. It's not like your problem is the first one when he turns to the angel and said, I've got no idea what to do with this person. They've just come up with something that is so unique and so big. It doesn't happen like that. We feel shocked. We feel shattered by some of the experiences and the news and whatever is going on. But God says, I've got this. And he's a sovereign God. He has authority. He's seated in Zion, the throne of God. The second key thing, following that this psalm is written in the context of people facing a day of trouble, a time of distress, is the beginning part of it. The first five verses, we see the power of expectant faith. And you'll notice that six times, maybe seven times, the word may. And it's an intercessory request. May the Lord do this. May the Lord do that. And just listen to these words. I've just condensed the verse slightly for you. And the maze here. May the Lord answer you. May he protect you. May he send you help. May he remember your sacrifices. May he give you the desires of your heart. May he make all your plans succeed. And may he grant all your requests so that we may shout for joy in victory. Isn't it an incredible number of intercessions, requests? May the Lord do this, may the Lord do this, so that we can experience the victory. And God says that we ought to come to him. I I love Jeremiah, where he says, God says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. There's an interesting little thing between Psalm 20 and 21. Remember, I said they are coupled together. I just couldn't resist this little thing. Verse 4 of Psalm 20 says, May he give you the desires of your heart. And obviously that's in the context of us aligning ourselves with God's will and purpose to the best of our ability. May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. And so I want to encourage you, firstly, is don't give up on God. When you're in the day of trouble, don't stifle your request because often that's what happens. We go, okay, I'll, and some of us even stop praying because we go, what's the point? I've done that once or twice in my life, this kind of thing, well, and he's saying, no, 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 God wants to give you the desires of your heart. He wants your plans to succeed. And when our desires are in accordance with God's plan and will to the best of our ability, we can pray with confidence. And planning in itself is an act of faith. But I said, I wanted you to notice the connection between Psalm 20 and 21. May he give you the desires of your heart, make all your plans succeed. And then in verse 21, Talking to God, you have granted him, that is the king, his heart's desire and not withheld the request of your lips. So in, within the space of two psalms, 
One on one side of the battle, the day of distress, and the one on the other. One is, God, would you give me the desires of my heart? Would you make my plan succeed? On the other is the celebration. You did it. And so I want to stir up faith. I want to stir up expectation. And if you've been facing prolonged disappointment over something, I'd encourage you not not to hype yourself into some kind of frenzy, but to go, I'm going to stir up faith again. I'm going to keep persevering in this. I'm going to keep trusting that God has a plan and a purpose and a way forward for me in this situation. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I love that. Without faith, it doesn't just say it's difficult, it's impossible. It's impossible. And sometimes we think faith has got to be this great emotion and feeling, and sometimes we don't feel it. But faith is kind of keep coming back to God, and God, no matter what I feel right now, I choose you. I trust you. I I remind myself and you of this promise that you gave me. Those, that's faith. It's not just, well, I've got great faith and I'm ready to go. And, yeah, we see that sometimes. We feel that sometimes perhaps. But mostly faith is that coming to God with our fears, with our uncertainty, with our questions, even struggling with doubt. But God, I'm coming to you anyway. I'm choosing to trust you anyway. I'm going to step out anyway. And I want to encourage you in that as we step into 2024. And we must believe that he exists. And here's the promise. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. And that's one of the reasons where we start the year, and we do it a few times through the year, a season of prayer and fasting, just that whole thing. We really want to focus up on our relationship with Jesus. And if you've missed out so far, it's all right, jump in from now on. And just in the coming week, there's you can know what we're praying about, but it's about you saying, God, I'm going to do something to deny myself so I can get more of you. That, that's the simplest way I can explain fasting. It's not a hunger strike. I'm not going to eat until you answer me, God. (laughs) It's not a hunger strike. It's just, God, I'm going to deny something in the physical realm so I can gain something in the spiritual realm. But I want to come to the transition point in the psalm where it speaks about the Lord's anointed. And I want to remind you again, if you have a relationship with Jesus, You have an anointing, according to the Apostle John. In 1 John, he says that twice. You have an anointing from the Holy One. You already have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we encourage that you step into that and receive the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know what that is, we did some teaching on it last year. It's on YouTube, or you can ask one of the key leaders, and we can help you with that. But here's the transition point. Moving from may this happen, may that happen. Then he comes to a point of certainty. Now this I know. Isn't that a great declaration? Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary. 
and the victorious power of his right hand. Now this I know. I was tempted to make an extensive list of the things in the Bible where somebody says, I know this or I'm confident about this. But I had to calm down because there's a time limit. So I want to just give you a few things that you and I can know. Now this I know about God and about what he's doing in my life. Job, in a day of trouble, (laughs) in fact, it was more than just a day. His world was turned upside down and inside out. And we get to read it and watch the trauma and know the outcome at the end. We get to understand there was a conversation in heaven. Job had none of it. This disaster just swept into his life, turned everything upside down, experienced extraordinary loss and all the rest of it. But in the middle of it, Job anchors his faith. He struggles. He even questions God. He's got some friends that come along that are not that helpful. Job's comforters, but Job says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that's the power of the resurrection for us, that we don't serve a dead Savior who sacrificed his life, and that's wonderful, And it's very, very important, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, he shed blood. But it's his authentication as Lord and Saviour is the power of the resurrection. And we can declare in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the day of distress, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know there's a God in heaven. I know there's a Saviour, Jesus, who intercedes for me before the throne of God. I know that my Redeemer lives. The psalmist, and I love this, in Psalm 27, I remain confident, which is a similar concept to I know, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And we need to remind ourselves of that because sometimes in the day of distress, and it just looks, everything's falling apart. Everything's happening. This is and that's and Never seems to just be one thing. He says, I'm confident. I know that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that there is a way forward, that there is something beyond this. There's that song, and I'm not going to break into songs, so relax. They'll be all right. (laughs) He says, if you're not dead then God's not finished with you yet. I think I've paraphrased it, but that's the essence of it. If you're not dead, then God's not finished with you. In other words, there's still something he's going to do in and through your life and for you. You can know, you can be confident of this, that you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I know. The Apostle Paul says, In Romans 8 and verse 28, and if you read the context, it's in the context of facing all sorts of overwhelming things. But he says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know 
And I want you to notice this little phrase, all things. We know that God in all things. Paul loves this word things. He throws it in quite often. And it kind of just covers things. No matter what thing is going on in your life, Paul says, God works it together for good. No matter what thing is going on. So what thing is going on in your life? If it's a person thing, just don't elbow them at the moment. (laughs) But they're things that happen. And Paul just throws this word in to encompass everything that goes on in the human condition, in our human experience. And he says, God works all those things together for good. And there's only two simple things we have to do is keep loving God. Don't walk away from him, walk towards him and just say, God, I want your will in my life. I want to live according to your purpose. It's not asking for perfection. It's just asking for a heart that keeps coming back to God. And then you can know that in the thing you're in, God is working it together for good. So the first declaration is, I know. The second thing is, the Lord gives victory. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory. The Lord gives victory. In 2 Chronicles 20, it's during the reign of King Jehoshaphat, there's an enormous army, a coalition that comes against him. And it's worth reading the story. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But they are outnumbered, overwhelmed. And the first thing that Jehoshaphat does is go to the temple. Maybe he prayed Psalm 20. It was a psalm that the kings prayed before going into battle and the people with him and inquired of the Lord. And then the prophet came and said, because you've turned your heart towards God, Jehoshaphat, This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. We need to understand that when we're in the struggle, when we're in the battle, God's fighting for us. That he will bring us through, that he will deliver us. Just this week I was reading something about David Livingston, a great missionary and his backstory and how he got called to be a missionary in Africa is astonishing. And he was in a situation where they encountered some very friendly groups who welcomed them, listened to the gospel, many of them turned to Christ and others with incredible opposition. And they were in this place where literally they were surrounded by a group who wanted to kill them. Came at night, they saw the fires in the hills and then heard them coming. And this, I guess, militia, whatever you want to call it, tribal group just stopped. And some years later, he was back in Scotland retelling the story. And a man came to him after the service 
and said, I want you to see a diary note I made. It was on the same day because what David Livingston said, there appeared 27 angels that surrounded them. I forgot that key detail. 27 angels and literally these tribe ran away fearful, this militia, this military. And he said, I want you to, this man said, I want you to see, on this day we had a prayer meeting. There were 27 men praying for you. And we felt burdened to pray for you. Obviously there was no SMSs. No Instagram to post things, none of that. There was no communication. We have taken months, if anything, to get a prayer request through. But God could, 27 men praying, 27 angels with flaming swords turned up surrounding David Livingston and his group. The battle is the Lord's. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. Yeah, we take steps of faith. We respond to promptings and take steps of obedience. We do the practical things we need to do in a situation. But ultimately, victory comes through our Lord Jesus Christ, our risen Saviour, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then in John, there comes this promise in 1 John 5 and verse 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. That sounds good. But what it also says, there's stuff for us to overcome. This kind of expectation that just because I serve Jesus, no problems. That's a false gospel. If you're born of God, you can have to overcome some things. And everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, that we continue to put our trust in Jesus. In the middle of the day of distress, the day of trouble, Jesus, I still trust you. I still choose you. So this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed, to his anointed. I want to stress again, if you know Jesus, you've accepted me as Lord and Savior, you don't, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment to do that, both online and here in the auditorium. And I give you that opportunity to say yes to Jesus. But if you know him, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You already have a relationship Yeah, you need to step into a greater fullness and receive the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you have an anointing, an indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the anointing is. It's the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit who's there to empower and enable you and strengthen you. And that's why Paul urges us in Ephesians 5 verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit. And it's in the continuous sense Be constantly filled with the Spirit would be the best way to translate that. Psalm 92 and verse 10 says this, Your anointing has made me strong and mighty. You've empowered my life for triumph by pouring fresh oil over me. And that's why we're going to anoint you with oil. Not pour it over you, just dab it. You'll be all right. Won't mess up your hair. 
They make your forehead shine for a little bit. But oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. If you didn't know that, I'm just wanting to help those who may not go, oil, what's it got to do with it? Your anointing has made me strong. You've empowered my life with triumph by pouring fresh oil over me. Jesus urged us not to do life without the power of the Holy Spirit. He said to his disciples in Luke 24 and verse 49, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. It's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. It's referring actually to the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit there. Don't try and do things in your own strength is the key thought that I want to extract from this. He's given them the great commission, but he said, don't do anything until you've got the power to do it. Not your strength, your power, but the power that you've been clothed with the power from on high. Jesus, when he started his ministry, in Luke 4 and verse 18, it says uh, he was filled with the Spirit, baptized. The Spirit came upon him without measure. He was driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. And he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, reading in the synagogue, Luke 4 verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me too. And the anointing is not just for us to get goosebumps and enjoy it. I love an encounter with the Holy Spirit. But God's anointing you to do things so that your life makes a difference, so that you step into all that God has for you. And this is a year to step in. So the anointing is to empower you to do the things you need to do. And don't over-spiritualize that. And this is the key thing as well, is that in Exodus, in the building of the tabernacle, it says of one of the men there, I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills. This is practical work. He's building something. Don't make the anointing just something that is a Sunday thing or a church thing. It's a life thing to give you wisdom in your workplace, understanding and knowledge and skill to add to what you've already studied and the skills you've got. But the anointing just enhances all of that. And it's for everyday life in every situation. Come Holy Spirit, I need you in my life. I need your empowerment. I need to be clothed. I need ability beyond what I can bring to the situation. And so that's why we take this moment at the beginning of the year and say, I want a fresh anointing. I want to consciously and intentionally step into something that I know I have that has been promised to me, but I want it. And I'm inviting you, Holy Spirit, help me to step into everything that you have for me in 2024. Everything that you have for me and for my family. <laughs> 